0: Welcome back to Say What Needs Saying. I'm Zach. I'm Brandon. And today we're talking about Brianna Taylor and some updates since the last time that we had mentioned it in the previous episode. So we had touched on this briefly in our episodes talking about George Floyd and the riots in Kenosha and Kyle Rittenhouse um, because they're all sort of linked on some level, right? They're all factors in the current movement going on in the Black Lives Matter movement. And so we've tangentially touched on this in the past. So if you enjoy this episode, be sure to check out our George Floyd episode or the Kyle Rittenhouse and Kenosha episode because we mentioned it more there. But we just wanted to touch base and get back into it in a little more detail, especially since the recent updates have been revealed in the charging of the officer and in the lack of charging of the officers for anything directly pertaining to Breonna Taylor's death.
1: After the Breonna Taylor the, the shooting, I think it was over 100 days. I remember on Facebook, they were counting the days that the officers weren't being tried. The grand jury took the case and the verdict in regards to what a lot of people who were in the streets trying to protest uh, the murder so they can get some type of prosecution from those officers did not pan out in the way that the protesters were, were expected, or at least even myself would have expected that they will be charged with. But again, that's the rule. That's a law of the land that her killers or murderers will not be persecuted. And that really stung especially because of a lot of what's going on and the reason for, you know, why she died and many different things that led up to that to happen. And we can discuss all the different aspects of it. But it really, it really hurt that that could happen. And it sickens me to believe that if the colors were changed, that it would end up differently.
0: Yeah, and so I have a slightly different take, obviously. We've talked a bit about it in the past. Um, So my take is that I absolutely agree that it's tragic and shouldn't have happened and was a, an awful situation, um, and that Brianna Taylor did not deserve to die or any of that. But I wasn't especially surprised by the outcomes of the rulings, right? I wasn't entirely surprised that they didn't get charged with murder, that they didn't get charged with anything directly pertaining to her death. Because as I've said in the past, you know, at least at this time with Without any further evidence, unfortunately, my take has been that it's tragic and awful and horrible, but unfortunately legal. Definitely. Um, I I completely
1: agree that is is definitely legal, but legality and, I guess, personal beliefs are two different, you know, two different things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I figure we can just kind of turn it over and see what everyone thinks. Um, Obviously, we can talk a little bit more about the facts and, you know, if there are any questions about the case or any misconceptions or confusion surrounding it. But, but yeah, um, with that, if anyone has any comments or anything that they want to discuss, feel free to bring it up. And I guess, you know, while we wait for, you know, if anyone decides to type anything or if anyone's in the process, I'll just go over a couple common misconceptions about the case, just so that everyone's aware of what happened and what the situation was. The original story was that they had gone to this apartment. They were looking for her ex-boyfriend, who they had already had in custody. They went there with a no-knock warrant and bust in and killed Brianna Taylor in her sleep. At least that's the gist of what was going around early on. And so since then, there are a couple things that have come out that are different than that, that aren't as important, and some that, that are a little more important. The, the first and least important one is that Brona Taylor wasn't currently sleeping while she, while she was shot. Um, she was up and in the hallway. It was, in fact, a no-knock warrant, but the Kentucky AG has come out saying that the officers were told by their superiors to knock and announce their appearance while serving the specific search warrant. And so that has come under contention because they have one witness that corroborates that they knocked and announced themselves. And also 11 people that they don't say that they didn't announce themselves, but they deny hearing them knock and announce themselves. Let's see what else. It was related to her ex-boyfriend. So her ex-boyfriend was the main reason behind these searches. They had gotten numerous search warrants for her house or her apartment and numerous other places in the area that they thought were involved in the drug ring, if you will. And so her house was one of them. We did have a, we had one person ask a question, what time was this? So her official time of death was 1248 AM. And so the raid was shortly before that, obviously. Uh, We have one person in the chat with their hand up.
2: This isn't really a question, but I would like your uh, view on In June, when Rand Paul uh, introduced the act to prohibit no-knock warrants, I was wondering what you had to say about that. No,
1: I think the no-knock warrant, for when it was created, I feel like it has had a purpose, but I feel like there's more harm that can come of it, like for this particular instance, than others. So, you know, to ban no-knock warrants I think it's a move correct for the times that we're in to see if that has detrimental ramifications, we'll see. But as a whole, I appreciate it from a judicial standpoint or from a congressional standpoint to step out and say that a change must happen. And it whether it comes from the department itself, the police department itself or legislation, something needs to happen. So I, I would say I appreciate it.
0: And then I am mostly okay with it. Um, I do believe that there are certain more extreme examples where a no-knock warrant may be more justified. Um, yes. So, I mean, there's absolutely a, a very extreme example you can think of where maybe they're investigating a sex trafficking ring and need to bust in immediately immediately. I don't think that it was really warranted for someone who was tangentially connected to drug charges. I think that I understand the reasoning is basically to prevent the officers from getting hurt and prevent destruction of evidence, but I think that like Brandon said in cases like this it probably wasn't necessary. It's overused, but I don't know how I feel about an outright ban because I worry then about those instances where it may be necessary. Right? Okay. So so I do mostly agree with it. I think that If we were to have overuse of no-knock warrants to the level where stuff like this becomes more common and no no no-knock warrants, I suppose I would opt for the latter. But yeah, I mean, I'm not perfectly on board with it, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Right. Got another comment. It says, I think the no-knock should be on the judge, but should be in the public's greater interest and held more severe, not the protocol or something. So... I think if there's an instance where the, the public's greater interest is at hand, like one of those more extreme examples, then the judge may determine that a no-knock is necessary. But that brings up a good point that the judge is the one that signs off on the no-knock warrant. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this, you know, the anger that's directed at the cops, the cops were the one to carry this out, uh, right, but, but there was, so go ahead.
1: No, they're just fulfilling a duty by Mm -hmm. people who do not have to stand behind those badges, which makes us more of a legislative issue, um, which we clearly seen by the verdict of uh, the case.
0: Yeah. And so one of the comments said, yes, the judge greenlighted a pretty serious warrant for a situation that didn't necessarily call for it. Right. If that kind of judgment is going to be involved in the process of granting no-knock warrants, then, you know, that's somewhere that a ban may make more sense. Um, Just because I would rather have no no no-knock warrants as opposed to poorly... Executed. Yeah, exactly. Because in my head,
1: forgive me for how this will sound. You see in movies or you see like training videos of officers put into a new environment. You have to pick and choose who are or who exactly are the bad guys. And you would think that this would be a perfect example of how that training would come, come in. But then you learn that the training is only so many weeks and you're like, oh, so that's why she died, because we have a lack of training.
0: Right. I, I do think this case, even though it doesn't necessarily mean that the cops murdered Breonna Taylor, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that they should have been charged with murder or manslaughter or anything like that. It does evidence flaws in in the policing system and in their handling of the case, or at least not necessarily flaws in their handling, but flaws in how these situations are supposed to be handled. So one other thing that I personally don't agree with in this case, again, it doesn't alter the legality of the shoot, but the fact that Plains Clothes police were sent to serve this warrant. That was one other aspect of this case that had initially come under fire was people were asking for the body cam footage and there wasn't any. And so originally that was adding to the controversy around this case, but it turned out these were plain clothes cops. And when you are a plain clothes officer, you aren't required to wear a body cam because then you sort of give yourself away as a police officer so that was why there was no body cam footage but i was talking to someone earlier about the situation i would have shot too if i hadn't if if he legitimately did not hear them say police right Right. which he claims is the case i would have shot too because in that instance they're plainclothes people breaking into your house or apartment At at exactly and so i think that is evidenced by the fact that he didn't get charged right he or rather he didn't go to jail for anything, you know, he wasn't charged with assaulting an officer or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is good, at least that he didn't get any charges like that. But I think that's another area where it's clear that the way that they handled it and are supposed to handle cases like this, according to protocol are flawed on on some level, right? You know, plainclothes officers, again, serve their purpose. There are instances where, you know, it's probably not best to just outright ban it.
1: They all have its purpose. Like when you're when you're trying to do like you know a recovery mission, where you're not trying to blow your cover, or in regards to you're just being a lookout, or you're a, you're a cop walking in a neighborhood and you're just surveying, you're walking the beat, you're just getting a sense of the community. In those instances, to also have an officer in plain clothing, that's necessary. It's necessary to have it in those instances. But when you're, it sounds like a bad math equation. When you're in plain clothes, guns drawn, I'm not gonna say who I am. And I'm going to walk in here thinking, because I don't know I, they, I don't know if the officers may have known this person beforehand, but from what the judge said, and from what previously has been umbrellaed under this no-knock search warrant, you're expecting Rambo, or you're expecting a level of severity that doesn't, you know, it's not just a low-level drug offender. So you're going in there thinking this way. Someone's in the house believing it's just a regular afternoon. It doesn't sound like it will end well, and unfortunately, it didn't.
0: Yeah, uh, we had one more comment come in. It says, plainclothes officers with a no-knock warrant in the middle of the night seems almost like entrapment. How are you not supposed to think they're burglars? Yeah, you know, yeah it's, it was definitely poorly handled, right? And especially, so police had come out saying that they, well, I don't know if it was the AG or police, had come out saying that they were under the assumption that Breonna Taylor would be home alone. And if you're under that assumption then you may as well knock again, announce yourself again, Right. Um, again, you know, I get the idea that you don't want evidence destroyed or you don't want to be harmed, but if you've already announced yourself as a police officer, which they allegedly did, then you aren't further risking that by announcing again or announcing louder. Now, a- again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm faulting them specifically because they were just doing their job and they were handling it according to protocol and if anything they weren't they technically weren't even supposed to knock and announce the first time but you know it's it is it's kind of a recipe for disaster
1: i completely agree i just i don't i i And what you said kind of it made me wince to a degree because you know you didn't want to not you personally but like you general to say that you know, they're doing their job it's, it's very striking to know that someone can die and nothing happened when doing your job like granted you know, you can bring up a slew of other professions that have this kind of written in their code of conduct, but it's it's really alarming that they were simply doing their job and someone can die who had nothing to do with it. So as, as, as allegedly, as you know, of the information that we've been given, because if they were looking for if they knew that if, if they assumed that Brianna Taylor was just going to be at home, then why exactly are your guns still drawn if she's not even the person you're looking for? If that's not the person you're looking for, and you've already have search warrants on all these homes, and you would know that I'm all I'm here by myself, then it should be a bench warrant for you to bring me in to you know serve for questioning or to stand trial or anything like that. A search warrant for someone that's not a perpetrator doesn't make sense.
0: Well, and so I do think that they did have a fair amount of evidence that connected her to Glover, her ex-boyfriend. Um, And connected her to the the drug aspects of it. And so there was one other. So I wanted to walk through a little bit of that, too, because I think that there was justification, I think, for a search warrant, but not necessarily for the way that they handled it. So some brief history, I guess, walking through what went on before this. On December 30th, uh, Glover was first arrested. This is her ex-boyfriend. He was arrested for guns and narcotics. And then afterwards, later on January 2nd, Glover got out of Taylor's car at one of the houses that was hit with a search warrant. Mm. Then January 16th, Glover drove to Taylor's apartment, walked in and picked up a package. February 14th, Glover got towed, tried to file a complaint with the cop and gave them Brianna's number. She was one of five no-knock warrants that were requested then. Um, then okay. the raid happened, and they raided those areas. And so there were comments that Glover had made that implied that Brianna Taylor was holding money for him, like drug money for him. And so it all, again, it is circumstantial and not hard proof, but I think mm-hmm. warrants a search as long as the search is handled appropriately, because it's no longer a unreasonable search because you have all these things pointing to it. Right. It wasn't so much a search warrant for Brianna Taylor. I don't think it was more for her apartment and her connections to him linked her and the apartment to it.
1: Right. So she. this would you would you say that they would, and based off the evidence? Because this is this is all new information for me as well. Um, would you say that they were looking more like a search and seizure in regards to the apartment, or not, or to more get more information on Brianna Taylor, the person?
0: I think it was her apartment because she was the one that lived there right? Because she was connected to him and potentially connected to the drug charges or the drug crimes. Mm -hmm. And they were then searching, you know, for for money or drugs.
1: So so as a nonviolent suspect, so to speak, I wouldn't see why they would have guns drawn ready like that. Granted, when the shots, when they heard, I believe, you know, um, Glover shot first, and then they fired, if Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not mistaken, then it would make sense. But, you know, I don't know. It's, It's unfortunate all the way. It's hard to like, try to like, to make it correct even though you know we we have we have a responsibility to still stay objective Mm -hmm. you know but it's really 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 difficult because it's outside of the law you know it it still falls within what's you know what's admissible what's possible so Mm -hmm.
0: right so as far as the shots fired from the sounds of it they knocked and announced and then afterwards after not getting response then battering rammed the door in and then walker shot at the door, which shot, uh, I believe it's Mattingly, one of the cops that hit him in the femoral artery in the the leg, then the the cops returned fire. Um, We did get a couple comments that I wanted to go through. So first one says, can you walk us through the TMZ footage we saw from the link you posted? Uh, We posted that link in our Discord. Uh, Just as a quick plug, if any of you are interested in joining the Discord, just let me know. But it says, can you walk us through the TMC footage we saw from the link you posted? I saw the limited footage they showed, and it was all over. Threatening someone to step towards them with a dog. The footage of the apartment with the officer who was not supposed to be there. Then the Attorney General and the FBI. So yeah, so for those who aren't aware, so far what I've seen is there have been three body cam footage clips. One was from when the officer got shot and they are carrying him away. The other ones, which were referenced in the comment, TMZ had posted them, or rather they had an article with them. Mm -hmm. The first of which, they were both from body cam footage from SWAT or other police officers, not from the original three. Mm -hmm. Basically, the first clip was of, I'm not sure if it was a SWAT or a police officer, but he was holding a police canine and yelling at Walker to walk back towards me, walk back towards me, or I'm gonna sick this dog on you, walk back towards me now, things like that. And so meanwhile, the dog's barking, and you know, he's yelling at him to walk back towards him. He continues to walk back. After he walks back, he tells him to kneel, he kneels, and then they handcuff him. The last clip was then of an officer being in the apartment, in the entryway of the apartment, Talking with SWAT, I believe about the ballistics, about the shell casings, they were wondering if any of them were, quote unquote, theirs. The, The audio wasn't extremely clear, so I don't want to really get into too much of the details with that. But the main concern was that technically the officer should have left already because it was an active crime scene and they weren't in charge of the investigation. But yeah, so that's the gist of the body cam footage that was released. And I guess the main concerns over it are that evidence may have been tampered with because the police were there when they shouldn't have been. I don't really see where where that concern could come in. I, I don't know what evidence they could tamper with it, at this point. I, I don't know. I'm no legal expert. I'm no forensic expert or anything like that. But yeah, so that's the, the gist of the body cam footage. The other couple comments that we got, uh, one other one. So, and you said that the person they were looking for was in custody at the time they invaded. That confused me as well. Yeah. And he was arrested the morning of March 13th. He was not already in custody. He was in custody later that morning, but if she was killed at 1248, or rather that was the the time of death was 1248. And then he was arrested in the morning of March 13th. So right. so no, so he wasn't technically in custody yet. So I guess the search warrants probably served a dual purpose, right? To find him and to find his drug and, drugs and, and money. He was arrested the same morning that Taylor was shot. And it was after they had executed a no-knock warrant at 2424 Elliott Avenue. That was presumed to be the center, I guess, of the the operation, the center of the the drug operation, drug ring, whatever you want to call it. Quick question uh, before
1: you get into the comments: did, Was was there anything found after the police raided the area and Breonna was dead?
0: So no drugs, no money, but they found mail for Glover. So nothing that they were really looking for, right? They so, weren't able to find that.
1: And that I just want—I just you know—we're we're, going to get into the comments, but I just want want uh, the listeners to know if the perspective is kind of difficult that things like that are why people feel uh, the fire to go out and protest because that you know if you go in. Plain clothes, guns drawn, search warrant, no knock, killed someone, wasn't even the perpetrator. Evidence for this person is non-violent, and then to find nothing is is ludicrous because that's that is we're still in the law. That's possible within the law. I must say kudos to you for even finding this information within <laughs> conversation speed. But the few questions I would like to ask anyone who was in, that was involved with the case would be. Were those two operations happening at the same time, or did one person say, oh, snap, wrong place, or, you know,
0: right. And they went to go find him? Presumably, they were staking out all five of these locations. I doubt that they just showed up at any of them. And they did get all five, so they didn't serve one of the five search warrants, but they did serve four of them, including Taylor's apartment. So there were three other locations that got hit with no-knock warrants including the place where where Glover was actually found. So my best guess is that, yes, you know, they were probably staking it out at the same time, but once they found out that, oh, it wasn't Taylor's apartment, let's hit the other places, you know? Right.
1: Do you think Taylor's apartment was first, probably, since it was so early?
0: I'm not sure. So I don't know when the other ones were actually carried out. So the last comment we had gotten was what kind of drugs? So what kind of drugs was Glover suspected of or charged with? The comment says, what kind of drugs? Is this just a little weed, heroin, coke? And then someone else says all three of those types of drugs. I think that's correct. So it was all three. He had charges related to all three, weed, heroin, and cocaine. And then we had a comment saying that, yeah, she was killed shortly after midnight on, on March 13th. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tragic and awful situation. And I do think it evidences a need for change with a lot of this stuff, especially with planes, clothes, police, and you know some regulation or limitation on no-knock warrants.
1: I would even say that, so like Rand Paul completely willing to abolish no-knock warrants. I don't think that's necessarily how to solve it. I think that's where we agreed. However, I think that it would make sense to match... Whichever warrant, whether it be a branch warrant, search warrant, no-knock warrant, a full-on raid with the account. So with the quantity of marijuana, coke, and heroin in the area, did that amount to a no-knock warrant? Or does that even require a no-knock warrant? Especially if, I'm not sure if they knew where he was at or they had an idea, because if they're skulking out the apartment and they had an idea that only she should have been there, I guess there's some sort of previous knowledge. So that's what I'm saying. Like the officers who are there, who are, you know, the investigators doing the investigation would have to relay to the judge what they saw to invoke the no-knock warrant. My thing is, if it was a no-knock warrant, but it was just supposed to be heard, but to the level that you require this type of warrant, there had to be some level of activity going on to match like, you know, the drugs or something like that. It's just not connecting, you know, not necessarily talking to you, but it just doesn't connect overall.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think what someone just commented sums it up very concisely, but but correctly. Um, someone says, it seems wrong, but it might be legal, so let's change the laws. And I think that's exactly how this should be handled, right? I think that if all of the energy being poured into condemning the officers and, and demanding the officers be charged with murder... Was instead to be poured into changing the laws and changing the system, right? Reaching out to government officials. And obviously, they're amenable to change. Change is happening in real time, right? It happened after George Floyd. Plenty of use of force regulations were put into place across the country. You know, after Breonna Taylor, Louisville banned no knock warrants. You know, these places, I believe, or at least they've evidenced themselves to be amenable to changing the laws and changing the way that police handle themselves. Um, so I just think that the energy is being poured into the wrong place. I get it. I, I understand the frustration. I understand the anger, but I don't think it's the right path because it's not going to help anything. These officers are not going to get charged with murder. They're just no, not like, it's just it, not going to happen.
1: It won't happen. No. But in in for a lot of people to know that they, so I, I guess if you shoot someone, you are a murderer, um, to, but the, I guess depending on what kind of conversation you're having. But I guess the fact that people would deem them as a murderer and then that the state or, you know, the legislation is is against that is the frustration. And I don't want to say it's a lack of being informed to ignore the aspect of being informed based off of what's morally right or wrong like that. That's the toil between, I guess, the people who are really against the verdict, which we also have to get into. I I forgot the name of the officer, but only one of them was charged. But what was he charged for again, Zach?
0: Wanton endangerment. So he had three cases of wanton endangerment, and they were for the bullets that wound up in other nearby apartments, right? And so it was for endangering people in nearby apartments that were not at all related to the incident, right? So nothing pertaining to Brianna Taylor necessarily. The other concern that I had and that others had, the speed with which the judge signed the warrants. I'll address the comments really quick, and then then I'll jump into this. So comment says, why not? What is the root cause of why they won't be charged for murder? What legality protects them? So if it turned out that police saw Walker with a gun and still consciously aimed at Breonna Taylor, purposefully Ignoring the person with a the gun, then that may be the only exception to to how it's not deemed murder, right because as someone is saying in the chat, you know it was the one bullet fired at them that opened them up to using self defense in the eyes of the law anyway, right at that point, you know if you're taking fire, returning fire into the apartment that is then deemed self defense especially since one of the officers got hit it's tricky, and there's lawyers on both sides of this, right so there's lawyers on the one side saying that you are only allowed to have self, be self-defense if, like, one, against the person who is shooting at you. And so mm-hmm. if you shoot Brianna Taylor, who wasn't shooting, then you're no longer defending yourself. You're shooting a bystander. But again, that comes into, well, what really happened, right? If she ran into his line of sight, like in front of her boyfriend at any point, you know, and got shot because of it, then it's legally that they would be defended. Let's see, we got some more comments. Uh, One comment says, I'm trying to understand why the self-defense argument worked in the favor of the police, but not in the favor of Brianna's boyfriend who fired the first shot. It is in fact possible and true that the boyfriend was acting in self-defense. Actually, so it did. It worked in favor of both of them. Yeah. Right. Because he originally, he was arrested for assaulting a police officer, for shooting a police officer, but he got let go without those charges sticking because it was deemed that he was defending himself and didn't know that it was a police officer that he had shot. Uh, A couple other comments says, sure, but you back over a kid. It's not first degree, but it's involuntary manslaughter. True. I think that that is where the other, so the other lawyers on the other side are claiming that by Kentucky, and I'm not an expert on Kentucky law, so take this all with a, a grain of salt coming from me. But the other, the lawyers on the other side of things are claiming that in Kentucky law, negligence isn't criminal. Um, so in this instance even though technically she wasn't the one shooting and so they didn't shoot the person they were defending themselves against you know that then goes you could debate it either way right because you can then argue well then wanton endangerment is on some level negligence um, but he got charged with that we got a comment saying yeah i have a problem with them hitting her five to six times but they didn't hit the shooter once how did that happen
1: that was my very yeah. first question. I was perplexed because the first thing that comes in my head is training. If you accidentally shoot someone, five, how many officers was it? Two? How many officers was it?
0: There were three. One of them had gotten shot. Um, so there were two, I believe, actually so shooting in there. Two
1: two firing officers. I gu- I'm guessing based off of the round, ra- uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure if they all carry the same caliber or you can
0: tell by the...
1: I know by the shell casing and by the, uh, how travel of the bullet, you can tell mm-hmm. whose gun it was from. Right. But I, my question is, did they both see just a woman in the hallway shoot her and say, oops, and then try to find the actual guy who shot her? Because if you're not the one holding a gun, you would still be holding a gun when you've returned fire.
0: It is a bit sketchy, right? It's a, it's a little sketchy that she got shot six times and, and he didn't get shot. You know, Obviously, I don't, I don't know what was going on. And so I don't want to to assume, but yeah, you know, it does lend credibility to the claim that it was handled poorly, at least, and maliciously at worst. But yeah, at least legally speaking, it's tough to say. Um, We've got someone with their hand up.
2: So the officers, I, I do agree with you. It probably has something to do with training. And I also, it also has something to do with the adrenaline of the moment. Obviously it can impair your cognitive function and I feel like it it really does have to do with instinctual defending yourself and they just I'm not really sure where Walker shot from Mm -hmm. but I feel like they just shot at what they can see because it was blindly because the blinds they were up they kind of just shot blindly into the house.
1: Unfortunately I I would not be able to sleep at night knowing that that would be a reason I guess a reasonable defense on why she died like you know they were they were caught up in the moment I don't want an officer caught up in a moment I don't want to I don't want a doctor caught up in the moment of a surgery and freaking out and sweating into the patient you know or dropping something they're officers because they have their training and they have the discipline to go about their job without typical fears that you know citizens may have you know, they do that job and they go through the training to avoid situations where you have some adrenaline rushing. And they shouldn't have that if they have this assumption that the apartment was not – it was just going to be
2: Brianna in it. Yeah, I and do you know, agree with you, actually. But uh, does, anyone, does anyone here know where Kenneth shot from? I'm not sure.
1: You cut i I feel I just had an idea, I guess based of how they would have heard the gunfire from, you could like look at the the housing plan because like you know and see where he was standing or where Brianna was shot at you someone one could put it, piece it together, but I feel like that wouldn't change anything now, so no one would you know fit to do that' or see to do that
0: well, and technically, you know, they haven't been charged yet with murder so they still could be it wouldn't be double jeopardy for someone to open an investigation and to look into it but I don't know how much of the crime scene remains to be completely honest um, and Mm -hmm. how much of an investigation could be carried out that said you know yeah it's all it's all valid points right the fact that she got shot that many times he didn't but you know who knows I, I don't know how much visibility they had I don't know whether or not it turned out that, you know, maybe they were shooting completely blind. Maybe they were shooting, you know, maybe they just saw the figures of two people after being shot. Like they just shot who they saw. I'm not sure. And I don't want to speculate too much, but you know, that's why I think you, you can make an argument on either side. Um, But given, again, given the evidence we have so far, it points towards self-defense that said, you know, I and I believe probably many others you know I'm open to absolutely changing my stance on the legality of it if we get more evidence that points to you know either ballistic records pointing to the cop being so one concern that has come out is that maybe the cop didn't get shot by Walker that it was one of the other cops which I think is a bit exaggerated especially in the in the femoral artery that's a lot to risk just to be able to shoot some people but it seems like a bit much But yeah, I mean, with more evidence, if more evidence comes up, then absolutely the legality could change and they haven't been charged with it. So there could still be an investigation and could still be a a trial or something. Uh, We got a couple more comments. I feel like we need an apartment layout and a play-by-play of the shots to understand that, talking about whether or not they were shooting blind and where Walker was shooting from. Uh, They said, was the door closed when shots fired happened? That may explain some of that, but it's not clear to me. And then another comment says, I think rather than, quote, defunding the police, unquote, the police need to be funded more towards training, especially not firing six times. The military gets more training and knows how to deal with their adrenaline and emotions during war, and they don't get, quote, caught up in the moment. Uh, Then we got one that says exactly they, the cops, use military style weapons and tactics like something used in urban warfare, but they don't get the necessary training to go with it. Then someone said the video we watched in the Discord kind of shows the apartment layout. That is true. Um, So if any of you want to watch that, and actually I could just find it now and post it in here too. The, The last video, the last body cam footage was of the police in the apartment. That does show a decent view of the apartment. So yeah, if you want to check that out, be sure to look at, it's on TMZ. All right. So the, for those listening live, I just copied the link into the chat. You're welcome to take a look. Um, for those not listening live, TMZ posted it. And so you could just look up the Brianna Taylor crime scene aftermath, body cam footage. You'll definitely find it. Yeah, that does give you some info on what the apartment looked like, but it doesn't tell you, as someone in the comments is pointing out, that doesn't necessarily tell you anything about where the officers or Kenneth or Brianna were positioned themselves. And I don't know. Other than ballistics info, and you know, maybe forensics on the if there were any blood splatters or anything like that, I'm not sure whether any new information or evidence is going to come out on that front or not.
1: Right. Also, a seamless plug. If you also want to be a part of live updates or live uh, links that we find that are linked to discussions that you know, anybody wants to talk about, definitely follow us on their Discord, and we're going to definitely post that information um, later along with the episode. Yep.
0: Discord is a app that is used as a messenger app typically for gaming, but it serves as a really good format for a community around this podcast. Basically, we've discussed various things surrounding the episodes. We've also discussed other things. Uh, we try to post uh, a question every day or so about just various things, you know, to gather people's thoughts on touchy subjects, you know, whether it's politics or or whatever. And so definitely join that if you're interested in, in hearing more. Because, yeah, we have some great conversations in there so far.
1: I was going to say, that, did you see on USA Today, I'll definitely post this, the link in the Discord, um, that the ballistics report doesn't support Kentucky's AG claim that Brianna Taylor's boyfriend shot the cop. They said that they failed to match a bullet that hit the Louisville cop in the thigh to the shots fired by Brianna Taylor's ex-boyfriend.
0: Uh, I did. Basically, it says that the nine millimeter bullet that hit and exited Mattingly was neither, quote, identified nor eliminated as having been fired from Walker's gun. So it sounds more to me like a lack of knowledge one way or the other and less of a direct rule out, which is still big. You know, it's still something that, again, probably necessitates some level of investigation for sure. So the other thing that had warranted some some concern over the handling of this case was, again, the there were multiple no-knock warrants that were signed that were, you know, connected to this, this case and the drug charges that Glover was hit with. The judge that signed them all, uh, signed them all within 12 minutes. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's a little sketchy too. I'm not going to lie that, you know, and again, I don't think that itself reflects mishandling specifically on the police's part that is mishandling by the judge but there's no way you could read and understand five no-knock search warrants in in 12 minutes that just seems very either they were all copy and pasted or they were just checking them all off and handing them all back immediately Uh, which is sketchy right it it doesn't look good
1: now i feel like there's a lot more quote-unquote uh, excuse i guess excuse the language There's a bit more blood on the hands of the judge because it seems as if the people who are getting attacked for what happened are just simply following orders
0: right and you know and someone had brought it up in a previous episode of ours there is a certain level of accountability there too right because you know nazis were just following orders too and there is a certain level of personal responsibility that falls on on everyone. But this, to me, this doesn't feel, again, in the absence of any new evidence, it doesn't feel like as much a failing of the cops personally and more a failing of the protocols and the judge and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, we got someone with their hand up in the chat.
2: Go ahead. So as you guys mentioned earlier, that no-knock search warrants are, they're a recipe for disaster. I feel like it is... Completely, really stupid. That 12 minutes to review some warrants with something as serious as a no-knock search warrant is kind of ridiculous.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: I mean, and that's what I was trying to, uh, I guess, trying to relate at, at first is just when you hear a no a no-knock search warrant, I mean, you wouldn't even think of comparing the case that says Brianna Taylor should just be in here no one else we're just expecting drugs not just you know a letter from Spectrum you know what I mean you're not, you're not just expecting that right. so and a 26
0: or 27 year old female it, that that is supposedly going to be the only person in there right not-
1: how many how many warrants were, was did he look over was it five I think so. And I'm sure these cases aren't PowerPoints, so there's no way in two minutes, in two and a, two point two and a half minutes, you're not reading through 10 pages of what investigators have been doing spending weeks on. These are not brochures of the case. You know what I mean?
0: Right. It's definitely a bit sketchy. So we, we got a comment. It said he was probably afraid of missing his wife's dinner, probably. Clearly, he had his priorities in order. And then another that said the judge phoned it in. Um <laughs> It actually was Jefferson Circuit Judge Mary Shaw. Um, so maybe she was afraid of missing her husband's dinner. But, but yeah, you know, maybe it was clearly <laughs> a mishandling. Well, I don't want to say clearly because, again, I don't have all the facts. None of us really do. And so I don't want to say certainly that it was mishandled. But I think that the evidence points to it being mishandled. Um, and we just kind to comment someone agrees that she dropped the ball. I just kind of wanted to open it up to, to see what you all thought. Does anyone else have any thoughts about the situation as a whole or how it was handled, the, the rulings, anything like that? Um, again, feel free to you know, raise your hand if you want to speak or type in the, in the chat. We did get one comment that just came in, says there are several studies that look at time of the day and judicial behavior. Judges tend to slack more right after lunch. I would believe that. I mean, I think everyone tends to slack a little more after lunch, and so I wouldn't be surprised if judges were no exception to that. So then we got a comment. It says, that's when you got to ask them then as a DA, possibly a root cause. You mean Root cause of what? Yeah, do you mean the the DA was the root cause of the issue? I'm just a little confused by the comment. I have seen a lot, and this kind of goes back to our Black Lives Matter sidebar, I have seen a fair amount of comments calling the A.G. and Uncle Tom, and saying that he has gone against black people and things like that um, because he himself is black.
1: I'm starting to get a little irritated over the 12 minutes thing. That's, that's kind of like, so you're to tell me someone died within 2.4 minutes of negligence? Ouch! And the um, fact that that can happen in the most the freest land in the nation you know, in the world.
0: Yeah, it definitely raises some concerns. Um, the person that commented they continued so they said that's when you got to ask them then as a DA possibly a root cause the DA choosing to ask them after lunch strategically assuming the DA is the one asking for the no knocks I don't think so I believe it was another detective that brought the requests in i uh, got, got someone saying, I wouldn't mind talking about Brianna's Law, but I feel like I'm raising my hand too much. No, no, absolutely. You know, go ahead. Uh, do raise it, though, because everyone is named anonymous, and so I can't tell which one you are to un- unmute you. Okay, so
2: are you guys familiar with Brianna's Law? A little bit. Mm-hmm. The big part I would like to talk about is that, I'm just going to read it out loud, is that the law is called Brianna's Law and requires all officers who serve warrants to wear body cameras and have them turned on from at least five before the warrant is served to at least five minutes after. I was curious what your guys' thoughts was that, or do you guys want to add a different policy, or do you guys think this is this is enough? Do we need more changes? Yeah, that's that's basically what I wanted to talk about.
1: I remember when I forgot what case it was, but I believe it was in Maryland. It was a case in Maryland that brought along the idea of body cams. And at the at the at the front of it, people saw you know it, it did alleviate some type of concern. But we've seen time and time again where the body cams were on directly on the person. Square clearest day, twelve o'clock noon, the sun is shining. There's not a cloud for the next seventy-five days, and the case still doesn't go in favor of the video or the video. Uh, whatever law or legality or legislation that's in place does not persecute whomever did wrong in that situation. So I appreciate, this is kind of like a backhanded okay to me, because a lot of people thought that the the body cams would have helped. And then Zach, I I almost can speak for you on this, but the body cams didn't change how many times we saw something happen where a body cam uh, didn't help.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with mandatory body cams because, I mean, it's It's something, right? It's better than nothing. I don't know. It's a start. Right. Definitely won't, So, like you're saying, it definitely won't solve the issue. And I believe, and don't quote me, but I do believe, well, I won't say it. I'll check it first. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it does, it seems like there are a couple studies that say that body cams don't necessarily have a huge effect on police officers' behavior, which is what you were talking about, um, is that it doesn't necessarily change it. I do think at the very least, you know, it provides us with video evidence. And so when the flaws in the system are fixed, you know, it will provide a way to prosecute those that need it and avoid prosecuting those that don't deserve it. Um, But yeah, I don't, I definitely don't think it's a cure-all, a fix-all. It's part of the solution. Um, We then got... I think a fair point of discussion is regarding, quote, systematic or, quote, systemic bias when some bad law is built into legal system, parentheses such as no-knock warrant. It's a sign of things that are structurally wrong, not talking about race, but systemic bias within police and legal systems. I mean, I think that there's, there's always going to be biases. I don't know who in this case specifically would be negatively affected by that. Like, I don't know who would be in the situation that they wouldn't have handled the same way, I guess. Mm -hmm. We had another comment that said, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the sum up was correct that everyone was against no knocks. I think they wanted it to be more severe, actually, if I heard it right. Cases like pedophiles and such that you don't want evidence to be covered up and it's more in the public's greater interest. Uh, yeah, so that is why no-knocks exist. And a lot of people, so Louisville specifically has banned them. But yeah, there are lots of people that do want them to be more severe. Also pertaining to the Breonna Taylor case, I've heard people claiming that if they had carried out the no-knock warrant as a no-knock warrant, that Breonna Taylor may have still been alive. And so the the argument, and I don't know if I really agree with the argument, but you know, it has some basis. The argument is that if they had just kicked the door in, Right, that Walker may not have had a chance to grab a gun before they had, you know, yelled out police and freeze and all that stuff before they had shot, which presumably in the time that they were knocking and announcing, he had time to then grab his gun. I don't know if that again, I don't I don't think it would have been a justified use of a no-knock when they probably could have just kept knocking. But you know, it's a fair point. It may have happened a lot differently if they had just kicked in and, you know, yelled police freeze, Um, whether that's right or wrong, that's a separate argument. Right. Uh, But yeah. What about you, Brandon? What do you think about the systematic and systemic uh, bias of police in this instance? Like, do you think this case is symptomatic of a larger systematic issue and systemic issue within police? Or do you think like biases?
1: I think how it was handled in regards to the legislation that changed via the county shows that every other county in America can have this and then we would have to wait until they change that rule for it to be even for all Americans. So if we're looking at an all-American base, if we're looking at as, you know, we are citizens of America, everything should be across the board. I, you know, during the civil rights movement, I thought that those riots only happened for six days and then we saw, you know, complete change of a nation. I thought, when the legislation happened for you know whether it be Eric Gardner to George Floyd Breonna Taylor that it would be some type of universal change within you know in the United States and it wasn't and that shows that systemically each individual incident would need some type of incident like this to put in new legislation because I think it was the state of Delaware was the last state to ban lynchings although it's in 1970 and I was like the 70s i thought that was completely gone you know i mean mm-hmm. it'd be, there's cases all you know even juneteenth the fact that there was slaves in texas that were still you know still enslaved even though it was supposed to be a global thing grant i'm just bringing examples that come to my head that it's not a universal thing it's not a national thing and if it's not a national thing then we have we didn't win anything in my head there's nothing to celebrate if this same brianna taylor case happened in California. Would Breonna Taylor die? Yes. If it happened in Washington, would she die? Yes. Would it happen in New York, would she die? Yes. It will happen in 50 other states and countless other counties that are within those states that this can happen again. Outrage will happen again. Looting will happen again. Places will be burned again. It's like we're not learning a lesson, and we're constantly beginning lesson after lesson after lesson.
0: Yeah, and some people made some good points. So one person pushed back on the thing that I had heard about bursting in. They said, or if they burst in without announcing, they may have made it further into the apartment and dressed in plain clothes, would have been more seriously fired upon. It's also possible, right? You know, there's no way to know because that didn't happen. We're we're never going to know. And I think the next commenter is getting it. They said ifs and buts. I think the point to take away is removing something doesn't necessarily get the result that we expect and want to happen. I, I'm going to preface this and say that this is, I'm going to show my biases here. There was very close to being police reform legislation pushed through, and it was, the Senate Democrats were the ones that blocked that.
1: they so, true, I didn't yeah.
0: remember. Republican senators did put forth a proposed plan with some of what Democrats wanted and also an open amendment process. So they had agreed to potential amendments to the bill. And that got shot down. Democrats were basically all or nothing. And if they didn't get everything, they were going to take nothing. And now the conversation has stopped. Conversation has stopped. And at least on a federal level, right, it isn't being talked about nearly as much. So I know that I'm biased. I know that I swing more conservative. And so I don't want to make it sound like Democrats are evil and the root cause of systematic racism or anything like that. But this time they dropped the ball. They definitely dropped the ball. And if you're going to want real change and you can get 65% of what you want, or 0%, then take the 65%, win the election, get Biden in there, and take the other 35% then. You know, have him do something on, on a federal level. It's it's a risky play, you know, if you don't get what you want. It makes the current administration look good. But I think that in this instance, they dropped the ball. Yeah, the the next comment says a true compromise is when all parties involved are unhappy. <laughs> I like that. That's that's very true. Yeah, if you're compromising, right, you can't get everything you want. Yeah, and we got two people that agree with it in the chat. Yeah, that's extremely true, right? If you can't bend at all, nothing will ever happen. And I think that too often recently that has been the case in the in the legislative branch is that if you don't get everything you want, then nothing happens. And gridlock is built into our system, right? Gridlock is a good thing. I know people hate the gridlock, but gridlock is a good thing. You know, it forces our government to move slowly and not acquire too much power too quickly. And it forces them to compromise in theory. But when you reach this level of gridlock, yeah, it just, it cripples the response on a federal level. That said, I think that the states and localities can also implement change, you know, and several of them have. So maybe, maybe it's at least in part a blessing in disguise because it forces the local governments to kind of get their shit together and, and handle things and, and do their jobs too. But yeah, no, I like that. A true compromise is when all parties involved are unhappy. That is very true. <laughs> Figured we open it up again. Yeah, you know, anything else that you guys think we haven't touched on with the Breonna Taylor case or anything related to it that we've missed or that you want to touch on in, in greater detail?
1: When I heard the verdict, I almost wish I didn't hear the verdict Mm. because I knew what would happen after. And then I saw—I looked on the news and I saw it, and I was like, "This is gonna hurt more than it'll help." And then the body cam footage was released, and I didn't even want to watch it. I was like, "Dude, I didn't—I thought they said there were no body cams, and now there's body cam footage of someone getting shot five to six times. I'm not prepared to see that." Then I watched it, and I was like, "So this was released by the lawyers." So it had nothing. To, this didn't help anything. So then, right. yeah, I'm just being toyed with emotionally. I, I, I'm not saying I want to wash my hands of it, but you know, the family, the, there was a verdict. You know, whether it be good or bad or indifferent. You know, mm-hmm. this is the law of the land. There was a settlement of ten point five that went to her ex, that I'm sure the family got a decent part of.
0: Yeah, um, they got twelve million for the from but, the civil case. Yeah,
1: right. So we're, you know, we're. I would. I would love for just this to be a disgustingly terrible page in the fight for an even system or at least an amended system that can prevent cases like this but I don't I, I love the discussion I love having discussion on this podcast and with the people um, cooperating and, and participating I really don't want to talk about this again. it hurts a lot because it can happen to my mother it can happen to my cousins and nothing would happen you know it's got every woman I know and nothing would happen
0: yeah, it's scary. You know, it definitely evidences changes that need to happen in the law. So we got, oh, we got a couple comments coming in. Please tell that definition of compromise to my ex-girlfriends. They have a different definition. <laughs> ah. All right. Um, <laughs> then the other more more related comments. I like that. That was, that was good couple it's good to keep these light you know these are serious subjects that right. you know they're they're touchy they're sensitive and you know you gotta you gotta joke a little bit here and there
1: yeah, i mean if, if we're if, if we're gonna open up the joke back you know he, he it <laughs> was it was relatable because you know he's talking about his exes brianna taylor's boyfriend she was his ex i, I get it you know, I, I get it i get it
0: and then, so the other comments, one says, wanton endangerment for her makes sense. If they wantonly endangered the neighbors, they wantonly endanger everyone within shooting distance. You know, that's that's fair. And I really don't, I don't know really the, the legal definition for wanton endangerment. I don't know if there, if she falls into a different category because she was in the apartment that the shooting was coming from. You know, I'm not entirely sure, but you know, that's a fair point. And maybe, you know, that may be something that they wind up pushing for. I do, that said, I don't know if that would change anything, right? If, if the, he was charged with wanton endangerment for Brianna Taylor as well, I don't know if that would change the public sentiment much, if that makes sense. I feel like people would be angry that it isn't murder or right. manslaughter. Right. And it may just come across as a slap in the face, to be completely honest. Um, uh, and then, so we had one other comment that said, we can talk about the protests. Sure. Yeah, we can, we can talk about those. That's, you know, obviously a big part of this. After all of this, there were a series of protests that went on in Louisville and probably around the entire country because of the outcome. And so this is, you know, kind of more the same, right? Louisville had lots of protesters and some rioters and and things of that nature. Um, There were two police that were shot as an outcome of this. Basically, they don't have life-threatening injuries um, and the suspect has been arrested, The National Guard in Louisville declared a state of emergency because of the protests. And then a three-day curfew was also implemented, similar to some of these other places that implemented curfews after the, the riots and protests started. And then police say that at least 120 arrests, 127 arrests were made in Louisville overnight. And most of those arrests were for breaking the curfew. So yeah, so there was a lot of that going on and definitely a lot of Rioting, protesting, and disagreement with the outcomes. Someone had pointed it out to me and I appreciate it because I'm not the biggest Cuomo fan, but it gave me something to appreciate about him. He had pointed out that, you know, protests are to get the government's attention about an issue. And basically that, look, you've got our attention. Like it's it's time to t- time to stop, basically. And he kind of has a point, right, in that the national movement for police reform has begun. The attention of both the the local and federal governments have been reached, you know, to where now both Biden and Trump are saying various things about what they're going to do if they're elected, you know, for Black Americans. Trump has come out saying that he wants to help Black businesses. And obviously, Biden is pushing more strongly for police reform, things like that. And so someone just someone just commented, they said Congress is a lot slower than the public realizes. So the public automatically assumes Congress isn't doing anything about it. Well, and I mean, Congress isn't doing too much about it. It's really more the, the local governments at this point. But that is still something, you know, it's still change. But, you know, yeah, I think broadly, I just think at this point, you know, obviously I'm never going to be against peaceful protesters. Peaceful protests, absolutely. It's your constitutional right. It is something that is what, helps change happen but it's the starting point it's the starting point that then needs to lead into okay we've gotten their attention and now we all need to reach out to our representatives and we need to reach out to government and we need to you know go and vote and things like that you know and the protests after their attention is gotten you know at a certain point for better or worse you start to lose credibility in the public's eyes. Mm because people start to get annoyed, right? People start to get angry because you're still protesting and it starts to, you know, again, I, I don't necessarily believe this, right? If it's a peaceful protest, that's perfectly fine no matter how long you do it. But a lot of people are gonna start thinking of it as more of a joke and less serious because that's just the reality. It's a tragic situation, right? It really is and it's regardless of the legality It's awful. It's an awful situation that should have never happened and hopefully will never happen again, you know, and hopefully will lead to some changes.
1: Two things you can do is hope and vote. And one of those don't change anything.
0: Yeah. Someone commented saying, yes, email the people who pay the cops, email your mayor and city council and tell them how you feel and what you want. And I think I really do think, I think I've said this in a previous episode. I do genuinely think that people underestimate the power that they hold by doing that the way that they get reelected is by making people happy with how they're doing their job. Right. If presumably, if you then are going out to vote based on this, you know, if 500 people, you know, a thousand people in the city, all write to the mayor saying that this is important, that mayor is going to have a lot of reason to make some changes. Otherwise his job is out, right. He's, he's out, he's not getting reelected. It's not a perfect system. It's not. And we still need to do the, the episode on whether or not your vote counts and all of that, because I know that was a concern early on. But, you know, it's something. It is the avenue you can take that will be taken both more seriously and may have a larger chance of actually leading to change. Um, We got a comment that says, well, I think the important thing to realize is if you go out and say you are protesting but destroying things, it really hurts the image of whatever you are doing. Writing a strong letter, article, etc. is so much more powerful. Pen is mightier than the sword. It continues the cycle. So, higher cases of police brutality happen in areas with higher police presence. Areas with higher crime have higher police presence. So, if you have more crime, you're going to have more police, you're going to have more police brutality, and then you're going to have more instances like this. On top of that, typically, not always, but typically, those high crime areas correlate with low income areas, right? Based on the demographics, right? And so now you've got one being a risk factor for the other, and you have massive riots go on in a city, buildings be being burned down, um, destruction of property, all of that and Now, a year later, all of those businesses leave you know all of at least the big businesses, the ones really bringing money into the into the area they're going to leave because it 's not worth their investment because now why should i stay here if my business is going to get burned down i'm going to move out to a different city and set up shop there that then only perpetuates the low income right it's not all the money is taken out of the community and all of the mm-hmm. businesses bringing jobs and bringing opportunity and so it's it's cyclical right and i don't know i don't know what the the alternative solution is obviously i'm not not an expert and then we had a comment that said low income also correlates with black neighborhoods. And
1: I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I would, uh, it, it may not, not the majority because there's only 15% of the country will be black. So then 15% of the low income areas are not located within
0: black communities. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good point. I guess broadly speaking, it may not.
1: If we're looking specifically of where the riots are happening and who we see population-wise within the riots, then you can make that argument. But if we're looking at the country as a whole, it wouldn't stand. Also, in New York, it's like, I think I saw an article, it's like 22,000 people have already left New York City. Yeah. Just sh- and not, not, that's excluding the fact that they are, I think for the seventh year in a row, the leading states that people are leaving.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's all the rich people. Cuomo was begging right. the rich people to come back because they take all of, the, they take all of the, the taxes or they pay all the taxes. And so now they're leaving and so all their tax income is going to disappear. Um, That person did specify. So that person qualified before. So they said low income also correlates with black neighborhoods within cities. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that, that much, yeah, that could, that could hold. Someone said, can we talk about the stats? I don't get where they come from for black crime and such that CBS published compared to statistic websites. And darn, I wish I thought I could post a photo here. Um, You are able to post a link if there's a specific stat you're talking about. I'm guessing, are you talking about the... Oh yeah, well, there's a GIF that I can download. Not sure if this is it or not. <laughs> All right, I want I want to thank whoever just shared that that image. Um, so it turned, so Brandon, I know you're on your phone, you can't see comments. Someone shared it's it says Happy and it's <laughs> literally just a picture of a happy cat. I thought it was gonna be the stats, but it was not.
1: No, it's just, it's just, it's the, see, you brought it on. You said you got to make it lighthearted and you,
0: now we have a fuzzy, adorable
1: feline to break it up. Thank you, Zach. This is, yeah. this, that person did what needs doing because we said what needs to you.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I, I'm assuming you're talking about the statistics on police uh, shootings or police killings. I won't speak specifically because I don't have the stats in front of me. Roughly what you see with statistics on police killings specifically is that if you look at it strictly on a population basis, right? So black people make up, you know, 13, 14% of the population, police killings skew disproportionately black. If you look at it in terms of police encounters and um, crime rates and things like that, they skew disproportionately white numerically speaking, more white people have been killed than black people each year by police, but obviously there's more white people around. Um, So it depends on how you look at it, right? Um, I do think, I agree with you that I think that, I I do think that the, the stats are talked about much less than they should be. Um, I I think that the narrative does fall apart a bit when you look at these statistics on killing specifically. You know now there's also studies that show that um, Black and Brown people are more likely to be victims of harsher force or excessive force by police. Not necessarily that they would be killed, but excessive force. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's its own issue too. You know, and that's something that needs to be addressed as well. But yeah, as far as killings, you know, the the narrative, and again, I'll preface this by saying I know that my biases are showing. But the narrative that has been pushed by the Black Lives Matter organization and a lot of, again, I don't want to paint with a broad brush and say Democrats, but people on that side of the aisle more often is that black people in America basically have an existential threat because of police, and that any one black person can go out and get killed at any time. By police, I don't remember which news anchor it was, but he was saying it was a black news anchor. He was saying that how they could kick in the door right now and shoot me here. And like that wouldn't happen. It's taking the narrative and expanding it to not match up with with the actual statistics. Right. Um, So so, yeah, that's a good point. You know, it is something good to talk about.
1: I think we spoke about this before, like in regards to what does what what do the stats mean to you? Like, granted, you know, when you're 15% of a, po- you know, and I'm 15 is incorrect. I think it was, this thing's like 14, 13.5 or something like that. In yeah. regards to being that small of a population, it's not going to work to make a law, make a credence that is going to equally defend 330 million people. 15% is not a shock, and it's not all the 15%. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's extremely situational. What those same situational scenarios, that are found by, I guess, their, their white counterparts aren't as severely handled uh, as they would be. And I think that is what many people, you know, whether, you know, we have body cam footage now that can, that we can use as an example. That, just that as a whole, I don't know. The numbers, to me, you know, if, if you saw, like people have fears of sharks, but there's not that many shark attacks a year. You know, there's there, there's ways you can combat it, but once you hear this one shark attack at the beach, they, a lot of people are gonna be worried. There's gonna be a sign up. There's you know, there's huge precautions. You know, just because it's a number, that doesn't make it. That can't be you. And I've said it before. You know, you see a cop, and I'm watching them, so I can't see the cop car anymore. You know, and I'm and I'm going under the speed limit. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. Yeah, the numbers the numbers are interesting, but they're not. They doesn't. They don't change my day to day.
0: So one of the comments that we just got addresses that too. It says the fear of the police is real, whether they will bust in the door or not may not matter. It feels like they might. And it feels like you should be scared of them. And that, you know, that's the sentiment that unfortunately is felt by a lot of people, right? And I think that, you know, the reality is that most of this stuff does wind up happening in in high crime areas and in low income areas. And generally, they're irrational fears. But you know, not entirely, right. This stuff does happen. You're right. Especially when that fear is there, you know, it makes sense that people are worried that it may happen to them and not someone of a different demographic when they see things like this happening back to back, especially recently. I agree with you that, you know, there are instances where the stats don't necessarily matter as far as how people feel and, you know, whether they fear police or or not it it's an important topic to touch on at least and i'm glad someone brought it up you know it's something that we haven't directly talked about much the next comment says the police also target the poor because they can the poor don't have the resources to fight back when a cop found out i wasn't from the low income area but instead from a high income area his attitude toward me completely changed i i don't want to speak on it because i've never i've never experienced it so but I would believe it, you know, obviously everyone has their biases and it could be that there's a bias against low income individuals, whether that's because there's a higher crime rate in those areas or because they're genuinely just biased against poor people, you know, who, who knows, but it does, you know, it does happen. And I'm not surprised that that would happen. And so we got a comment that says scientists would say, look at the percentages. Um, I mean, yeah, but which percentages, right? You know, if you, you could look at the percentage of the population, but you could also look at the percentage of police interactions, right? And so if you, if one demographic is involved in 50% of the police interactions, if that same demographic had more than 50% of police killings or police shootings, then it would be disproportionately skewed to that population, right? if they had 50% of the police interactions, but they only had 30% of the shootings, then it wouldn't necessarily be disproportionately there. Conversely, Mm -hmm. if you looked at it population wise, you could say the opposite, right? You could say if they only make 13% of the population, but they have whatever it is, you know, 25, 30% of, of the killings, then yes, it's disproportionate. Um, so it depends on which that's the thing that's why it's so tricky is that all of these are legitimate statistics and all Mm -hmm. of them have some basis for being used as the metrics to determine whether or not police brutality and police killings are disproportionately skewed in one way or the other
1: what about you like any closing remarks while anybody types along anything
0: yeah i don't know i mean i think we covered it pretty well I think most people are in agreement that this was a horrible, tragic event, you know, and it, and it should have never happened. I think obviously people are disagreeing on the legality of it. And, you know, there's still room to, to either find new evidence or to, to look into it further. Obviously, I, I'm no expert in Kentucky law. And obviously, we don't know yet what is really going to happen because I very much doubt that this is over. I don't think that the lawyer for Taylor's family is going to just let this go. I believe that they're still pushing, right? They're still pushing for the, the grand jury's, what's it called? The transcripts to be released from the grand jury's trial um, so that they could know what they were presented with and what they actually said. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's tragic. Unfortunately, I'm of the belief, at least right now, given what we know, that it was legal. But I do think that this was a really good talk. This was a really constructive discussion. I think we hit on a lot of important areas, for sure.
1: Yeah, you know, that's, that's what we definitely strive to do. And we wouldn't have even gone this low, this level of a conversation for the listeners and the people uh, participating in the discussion. So at least from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of the podcast, um, we really appreciate it.
0: These conversations are what help us bridge the divide between people that is growing more and more right now and i'm glad that you know you were all able to participate in it with us thank you all for a great discussion and we'll call it a night thanks for listening if you liked this episode please remember to like subscribe and leave us a five-star rating also
1: you can follow us on twitter at say what needs and on instagram and facebook at say what needs saying for live updates and sound bites from our actual podcast don't forget to continue the discussion thank you for listening
2: thanks